0: King Saul fell on his sword when it all went wrong, and Joseph's brothers sold him down the river for a song. And Sonny Liston rubbed some tiger balm into his glove. Some things you do for money, and some you do for love, love, love.
1: And welcome to the Anderson Observer Podcast news from people you trust. There are new faces in leadership in the county. Uh, A lot of Martin Luther King activities this past week. Happy new trails. The Pendleton-Cheney Mill development is underway, and a new trail between Belton and Anderson is a step closer. The new fields out at the Anderson area, YMCA, which will also be a regional cross-country facility, which could bring a lot of uh, good things to the county. And a county council update from this past week, all this and more on the Anderson Observer Podcast News from People We Trust. Things are busy in Anderson County. as The new year is well underway and includes a lot of big announcements that will bring quite a few benefits to citizens in many areas. The first of the two long-awaited announcements on the development in Pendleton is finally a reality. Work is set to begin in the spring on the new plan development project at the old Chaney Mill site, the cotton mill site down there. And the new area will expand downtown and include housing and retail. They'll all reflect the architecture of the old mill as well as utilizing the structures of the old mill itself. And I will update this more when details are available in a few weeks. And then not far away from there, an earnest cleanup is finally underway, and environmental evaluations are scheduled at the old Pendleton oil mill site, which is just down the road from there. It will also extend downtown Pendleton, and uh, it will also feature a planned development area, so a lot going on in Pendleton, so stay tuned for that. The idea of an Anderson to Belton track is also one cl- step closer to reality after a partnership between the county and the United Way of Anderson they got a $500,000 grant to study the project and look at right of and all those things. that would create a recreational track along the old P&G, uh, um, I mean P&N rail line. They used to call it the poor and needy rail line between the cities. In ancient generations, as it seems, uh, there were re- was regular rail service between Anderson and Belton with the train going forward, and then backwards between the two stations. It could be the beginning of more expansive trails throughout the county, which has been a vision for quite some time to expand the current trail from ANMAD to 81 North to the Civic Center, which has been getting tremendous use, even though those bridges on both ends aren't quite set up with the ramps to get over those bridges. But it will connect those to the City of Anderson trail system, and eventually hopefully stretch to Pendleton and maybe even to Clemson. Williamston is working on extending their current trail, and there's a long-range plan to connect Williamston and Pelzer. Um, and West Pelzer. So those three sister cities want to be connected. And another dream that's been tossed out, and it's I'm s- still in its infancy, is a way to connect West Pelzer with the Swamp Rabbit Trail. There's apparently a, a, an actual avenue that that could work. And maybe that could also connect to the new public space that the county has on the Saluda River in Piedmont. Walkability of an area is the top of the list for most Americans right now. They want to live somewhere they can get out and walk and it's good to see the local attention being given to those projects. And meanwhile, another significant project should be ready for use in the fall. Uh, the expanded Duckworth-Tucker athletic fields off 81 North Hill, Duckworth fields out there will include a high-tech cross-country track that hopes to attract regional and national NCAA tournaments as well. It's being used by the and Westside track athletes, which right now have to basically run on the roads or on the sidewalks. It's not safe. Um, they're Very few tracks like this in the country, and they think it'll draw a lot of stuff in. The um, YMCA is also expanding its fields and its presence out there, and uh, a gift of some land by Johnny Tucker helped double the size of the the project, and a lot of stuff's going on out there. I know the coaches are pleased by this new facility that's set to open in the fall, and I talked to Hannah Coach uh, Andrew King and Westside Coach Aoka Hunter, plus District 5 Coordinator Dickie Smith and YMCA's CEO Joe Drennan about this project. Wow. Been coaching there now for 10 years,
2: and so excited about this course. Um, you know, what does this
1: facility mean to the program? Okay.
2: Uh, it means a lot. Um, having a place to run, having a place a solid um, foundation. It's going to be awesome being able to host meets, you know to practice. Um, it kind of put put us on a on the best playing field uh, for the you know, across the whole state. Um, it's going to be great. Uh, I, I just, I can't, I can't, I mean, the words really are hard to come by because it's, it's just, it's exciting um, for, for the future of our program and being able to host meets, being able to build it up, and being able to be associated even with the YMCA, with the younger kids, and being able to get to see that, that they'll be able to see and, and, and be around it a little bit more um, and just bring the community together. So it's going to be exciting.
1: And especially the location of your school it's going to be a lot safer for your kids to practice and run
2: for sure for sure for sure getting them off the roads um, that's really important um uh, you know and again just having a place and space to run i can't can't stress that enough so the kids know what to do and where they're going and how much they have to run and and it, you know just it helps everything from logistical to just excitement for, for, for the kids.
1: You think it might get more kids interested in cross country once they see this kind of thing?
2: For sure, for sure, for sure. And it, and it also helps us have to, again, the logistics side, it's here, it's already marked, it's ready. So um, we'll be able to, to build the program in other ways, to be able to focus on other things um, instead of. I'm trying to figure out at practice, all right, how are we going to keep the kids safe on the road or how are we going to keep the kids, like, how much do they need to do, you know, like, to keep them excited, you know, if we have to keep them on campus, you know, that, that can get boring running around campus, but when you come out here, it's going to be beautiful, so it's exciting.
3: Hi, I'm Ayoka Hunt, or Coach Hunt, Westside High School.
1: And tell me what this facility will mean to Westside's track and field.
3: Well, this is going to mean a whole lot to Westside. Um, we do not have a cross-country course. We have one that we generally have to make up. And thanks to T.L. Hanna, they allow us to come to a lot of their meets because they do actually have a cross-country course. But um, This is going to mean a great deal to our kids because now we have an open facility that belongs to both schools and we have full access to running um, with our own course.
1: When you're an athlete, what would it have been like to have a facility like this?
3: (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) You can see that times have changed. Um, And this, just looking at it, this is going to be fabulous and, and outstanding you think
1: it might attract more students to get involved in track and field and cross-country?
3: I do. Um, along with a new facility, new uniforms, yes, it's going to drive um, new athletes to want to come out and run cross-country slash track. Yes.
1: Latest up, give me the latest update on
4: where we are on the facility here. Well, we're on schedule. We're waiting now to put in the sod, and it's it, from there it's just going to take off. You see the curbing and all that's been out here, of course, the weather dictates on what we're going to be allowed to do and all that. But in a month or two, you won't recognize it again. Each time you look, the y got their walkways, and they've put that grass down here, and we're here taking the cross-country coaches and the two ADs around. Rick Moore, who's really going to head this up, uh, is, is, is taking them right now, and he's going to talk to them about the scheduling and this, that, and the other, because there'll be nothing like this in the southeast. Again, I can't emphasize that enough, where the ACC runs and the colleges and AAU real big meets, they've already told us they can't touch this facility. It's good for at least 5.5 million dollars economic development. It's been shown to us. So, under the guidance of Tom Wilson and the school board and all these people in the YMCA, we're we're right where we should be. Do
1: you have any uh, an opening date in mind?
4: Uh, they're going to talk about that today, but probably the fall will be wide open. The first meet we're going to have here, we're working with Anderson University, a partner, not a partnership, we're letting him come out here and have something because we think Anderson University is part of the community. Tom wants to work with everybody in the community and so uh, that's where it starts. But Rick will set up, he's very connected through the country with track and uh, he'll set up whatever needs to be done. We're look, looking to bring in the state championships next year. Uh, we're approaching AAU and the colleges. And when I say nobody has this, I'm sincere. This was made to be, well the YMCA's made their fields and all, I don't, let's not shun that. But the cross country was made to be a cross country. It was cut to be one. It wasn't a golf course that's been converted. We've worked on how we're going to cut the grass, how we're going to do this, what we're going to do. I mean, it has been a massive undertaking, but like I said, again, under Tom's leadership, and Joe Drennan from the Y, and our Buildings and Grounds people, uh, it's going to be something people don't realize. I mean, they'll be building hotels out here and other restaurants, because you're looking at 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 runners on some races, the in and out. Uh, we got the highway departments working on widening this road. Big buses come down, let them off, park them somewhere else. It's Air, no stone has been left unturned. Trying to, This will be a top-notch menu.
1: And for people who don't know, remind people how popular cross country is. I didn't realize
4: how popular it was being a football and soccer guy. Uh, to Rick Moore, the guy from uh, retired coach from Georgia is helping us, talks about uh, regular meat, they come in, uh, you set the number of runners you're gonna have, and then you add four to six people with it, see this place to be covered but they come in they're here for two hours and they're gone they come in they run they do whatever as far as the uh awards and all and they're gone but i mean the parents the grandparents everybody else is coming to watch the kid run but it's, it i was excuse me i was amazed at what they showed me down at, at florida state about what comes in and what goes out i mean we'll be able the way they built this with the uh Internet capacities and this, that, and the other. Uh, everybody can run here. They met Johnny Tucker, gave us gave us extra twenty two acres, so it is a big time course. Like I said, Rick Moore, which I hope you get to talk to, he can he can compare it to courses all over the country and says you can't touch it. I think the closest thing is going to be something past Virginia, but. Uh, our cross-country people had no place to go. I think they've talked to you about them running on the streets. We've forever worried about them getting run over here on 81. I've been in the district 47 years, they've always been running on 81 and we pray every year nobody gets hit. This won't be no more. They'll practice out here, run out here, it'll be open to the public. We're not going to build something and tell you you can't get on it and we'll keep it nice and a while with all the things they're building here. this is This is big. We're real proud. Sorry, talk about
1: the YMCA's participation in this whole project and why y'all felt like it was important to be a part
5: of? Well, we're excited about this project. This uh, property belongs to the YMCA out here and we've partnered with Anderson School District 5 to offer a, a community walking course and also a cross-country course. Uh, we'll open it up to the community for fun runs and those type things. We'll have a combination of uh, many athletic fields out here. Uh, four baseball fields, two others that we can use for t-ball, and we'll have five multipurpose fields. We'll uh, have a playground area for children and that type of thing. So we're excited about what this is going to mean to the community.
1: In, in terms of uh, the, the walking track, this will be probably the biggest walking track other than the one from the Civic Center. To...
5: Well, this, this will be able to be used when uh, the YMCA is operating out here or School District 5. Uh, there will be alternate walk paths out here uh, that uh, deviate from the cross-country course.
1: This facility is going to get a lot of use. I think a lot of people are going to go out there and run when it's not in use by uh, official programs and stuff. Another model program in Anderson that's already been in place for a few years uh, is the Paws Animal Shelter. It has become a national model as a no-kill shelter. People come from all over to see how they do things there. And a lot of that credit goes to Dr. Kim Sanders, who's built a great team down there. They're currently experiencing some overcrowding due to the some local seizures of large, a large number of animals, especially large dogs, and they could use your help. And here's what Dr. Sanders had to say
6: about that.
7: Hey, I'm Dr. Sanders. I'm the director and veterinarian for Anderson County Paws. In my six years' time here, we've never reached such a crucial moment as we have this last week. We are desperately asking for fosters and adopters for our large dogs in the shelter right now. It's been a crucial moment for us. Having this many animals in the shelter is really stressful for staff and for the animals. So we're asking that you guys show up now more than ever. Come out, foster, adopt, donate, or volunteer
1: is pause now. We, we, is, this, is this the most capacity you've
7: seen? It, it has been um, except for when I started here in, in 2016. So yeah we've definitely got um, a, a ton of animals here right now and it's making it you know just really stressful for the staff and for the animals as well.
1: And what's contributed to this this big group of animals?
7: Yeah, you know, a lot of it last week was different hoarding cases, um, seizures from animal control for cruelty, things like that. But in general, across the country, we're seeing an overpopulation of large dogs right now that are just kind of sitting in shelters longer than normal. So our adoptions are about the same as far as number wise, but the length of stay. So these animals are sitting here longer and that's really clogging up the shelters um, across the country.
1: Remind people what it means to take care of animals here because I think a lot of people are not real familiar with
7: it. Yeah, I mean I think it's, um, you know, our staff comes in every single morning and they have to clean up after all these guys and feed and water. And- um, you know, we do a lot of enrichment and, and different things for every animal that's here, too, to decrease stress. So, you know, there's a and medical care. So there's a lot that goes on here every single day, um, you know, and then we have to open at noon to be ready for the public as well. So, you know, it's, it's quite the process every single morning. It does cost us about $535 to get an animal ready for surgery or for first for, to be adopted. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's quite the cost for every single animal that comes in this facility. So, um, you know, it, it's not easy and it takes a lot of teamwork to get these guys taken care of every day.
1: And it costs how much per day to take care of an animal once you do all that?
7: It's a, you know, per day it's probably $5,000 total for every animal that's in the facility. So, you know, it it adds up quickly and with the number of animals that we have right now, um, it certainly takes its toll on staff and, and volunteers that are trying to get everything done in an appropriate amount of time so that the public can come into a nice clean facility.
1: Is this generally a slow time of year, the first of the year? It
7: is, yes. So it's definitely um, one of those times where we normally get a breather, and so that's not been the case this year at all. And I think a lot of shelters are experiencing that. I think part of it has to do with um, just inflation in general, so people aren't able to afford medical care for their animals, and so we see a lot of people needing assistance. There was also kind of that lag time between COVID where animals weren't being spayed and neutered, and I think we're seeing some of that as well, um, some of the offspring from those animals too
1: and i know you really love animals i mean it's (laughs) obvious you got into this what's the emotional toll on you and your staff having to see this many animals backed up
7: it's, it's hard. You know, it's really, really tough when I come in in the mornings and we don't have an open kennel. I know that my staff is already stressed. Um, you know, we have dogs that are doubled up and so those dogs have to be separated to be fed every day. So that takes a lot more time. And it is, it's really emotional seeing some of these animals that will mentally decline just because they've been here so long, despite everything that we do, you know, medications and enrichment and play groups and things like that to try to de- decrease their stress. And so, yeah, uh, there have been a lot of tears this year for sure.
1: And what can the public do to help?
7: Um, you know, the number one thing that we always see is people are driving down the road and they find a stray dog. Um, you know, we beg them to try to take responsibility for that animal to try to find that pet's owner. Um, you know, the shelter is not just a dumping ground. We are here to provide protection for the public and for, you know, sick or injured animals as well. So, you know, a lot of times those animals are very close to their home. um, And so, you know, we, we really ask that people help us, you know, it takes the entire community to take, take care of the number of animals that we have here in Anderson County. So that's a big part of it. We always need people to adopt, you know, we have amazing dogs dogs here. We get purebred dogs all the time. Um, and then foster homes are also crucial to us. Those are really the the bridge between having too many animals in the shelter and being able to appropriately take care of those animals. It doesn't cost the people anything to foster. They just come in, pick out a dog, um, you know, and then they get to find out all the really great attributes of that dog and try to market it and place it as well.
1: Yeah, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with the foster program. Yep. Uh, somebody's not ready to necessarily adopt an animal, but they could help ease your your shelter absolutely absolutely for sure what else do you need right now here so how can people help with this overcrowding yeah
7: blankets are in big need right now towels um, sheets and then as always we need donations we um, we love dry dog food and cat food both canned and wet um, as well those are all really big need right now and
1: people can just bring them out here?
7: They can, yep. We're open from noon to 5 every day. We're closed on Wednesdays and Sundays, but you can always leave it at the front door, um, and staff can bring in donations as, as they show up.
1: And right now you've got plenty of dogs, cats.
7: Um, yeah, we don't have a ton of cats in-house right now, thankfully, um, but dogs are everywhere. Um, we've got small breed dogs. We've got tons of really great you know, medium and large dogs as well.
1: And y'all are doing everything you can to help get these dogs adopted quickly. Everything.
7: We're shameless. So, yeah, you know, any, any plug we have, any goofy commercials or videos, um, you know, we've, we've begged as much as we can that we just really need people to show up right now and help us, um, you know, take some of these animals home and love on them. You know, I always think it's really important for the public to spay and neuter their pets and that's something that can be costly and so PAWS does have an alternative for that so please shoot us an email if you have animals that need to be spayed and neutered. There's really no need to have accidental litters um, that are just going to end up you know, filling up the shelter as well so that's extremely important as well. you
1: we all had a very busy year. Let's talk about the year ahead. Do you have any big plans for this year?
7: We did, you know, this year we're really hoping to do a lot more community outreach. And so every year we've kind of added something new to our plate. Um, This year we ended up with a marketing and volunteer coordinator. So we're really doing that, hoping to build our volunteer program. Um, And then we also have a dog behaviorist on staff now. So we're working with some of those dogs that, could be more difficult to adopt out um, and then we're also able to help people that have adopted from us and so that's really our two newest employee positions that we have um, but community outreach i think is really big we want to do more off-site adoptions we want to get out there into those low um, income areas and be able to assist people whether it's just vaccinations or things like that um, and education so we're really looking forward to getting out there and and you know meeting new people and being able to assist their pets as well
1: and the dog park has been a real Wonderful yeah. addition. Remind people about the dog park. Yeah, the
7: dog park is open to the public. Um, you can also come here and, uh, you know, take dogs out or if you want to do meet and greets. So if you have a dog that you're interested in adopting, you can bring your own dog here. Um, so that is definitely available as well. We're really hoping to get some new shade structures out there this year so it won't be quite as hot in the middle of summer. Um, and so I think that'll make it a lot more accessible for us during the summer months as well.
1: Uh, other events can be had out there I mean people can come out and just visit right yeah
7: absolutely we've got an amphitheater so we're still hoping to do some yoga um, we're you know we always do our huge Halloween event um, so yeah we're definitely looking forward that to that having new events out there here, the event. it is it's out of control it's a lot of fun it's so it's so great to see so many kids come through here and just enjoy trick-or-treating in a safe environment so yeah that's definitely one of our favorite things here at Paws
1: and we touched on this but how can people that want to volunteer, maybe they don't, you know, they just want to come out and be around animals some but don't have a lot of time?
7: Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, we have lots of needs, even things that people can do at home, such as making enrichment for the animals. So, you know, you don't have to come in and feel bad that you can't take an animal home. There's always different things that we need, whether it's just washing the dishes for us or helping with laundry. You know, there, there's always a lot of different things that can be done here at PAWS.
1: And if they want to find out how to volunteer?
7: Yeah, that? absolutely. Just shoot us an email, rescue at andersoncountysc.org.
1: They do a lot with what they're giving out there, and they're always looking for volunteers and donations. So if you can help out Paul's an animal lover. If you just want to go out there and help them walk the dogs and get them out of the kennels for a little bit, that would be helpful as well. Well, Monday was uh, the celebration the official holiday of the Sunday actual birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and there were a couple of large local celebrations held. The Anderson County Ministerial Association put on a high-energy program Monday night featuring area pastors, Anderson Mayor Terrence Roberts, Anderson County Administrator Rusty Burns, and an inspired performance by the Faith Center Praise Dancers, which I think was one of the highlights of the evening for a lot of people, plus a really good um, keynote speaker, actor, director, producer, Darren Henson, who closed his speech with this
8: challenge. There is no trying. Do or don't do. That's right. Dr. King did. I want to close out with this and thank you so much for your patience, I love you to life. Dr. King said this, he used the word signification. He said we must make sure we're not seen as things, but human beings who have a will, who have a mind, who has family, who has children who has mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, and cousins, who has purpose. I say to you today, we have work to do. Our history is not yet fully written. Again, that was a well attended event.
1: I would like to see a little more um, publicity put out. It was very difficult to find information about that event this year, and I think there are some efforts in underway to make sure next year more people know about it. There was a good crowd, but there was still some room for more folks. And uh, it was a really good event. And of course, the, uh, last Friday, the annual City of Anderson Mayor Terrence Roberts MLK Breakfast brought a pretty good crowd to the Civic Center. And Roberts took time to remind the crowd there that there's still a lot of work left to be done.
0: Dr. King's orations and writings are full of hope and admonitions. We are familiar with his dream speech and his discourse on social justice but he also spoke eloquently on the subject of hunger as a key component to equity which is our focus today. I have the audacity to believe, he said, that people everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education and culture for their minds, and dignity and equality and freedom for their spirits. And what about those who we don't have what Dr. King describes. These days we call that condition food insecurities. Food insecurity is defined by the United States Department of Agriculture as a lack of access at times to enough food for an active healthy life. Food insecurity is associated with numerous adverse social and health outcomes and is increasingly considered a critical public health issue. Key drivers of food insecurity include unemployment, poverty, and income shocks, which can prevent adequate access to food. Specifically, as tracked by the group Feeding America, food insecurity among children in Anderson County is 17 and a half percent. That's nearly one in five children right here in our community who are at risk of hunger every day. That's 7,830 children. And the same source notes that there are 22,700 adults in Anderson County who are hungry at this moment and don't know where their next meal is coming from. These people, these families, they're our neighbors. Often we think of these hungry people as homeless or people who choose to live a nomadic lifestyle. That does not bear out the case most of the times. In her book, How the Other Half Eats, The Untold Story of Food and Inequality in America, Pyra Fielding Singh, PhD, does a deep dive to look at the dietary differences among class lines and nutritional disparities in America, illuminating exactly how inequality starts on the dinner plate. So in addition to food insecurity, Nutritional disparities also come into play perpetuating societal ills like inequality, poverty, and crime. Thoughts of the solution. What is the solution? According to Feeding in America, multiple interventions have shown to reduce food insecurity, including participation in food assistance program, and broader societal level improvements in economic stability. You know, we're fortunate. We live in a caring and giving community with many resources. Meals and groceries are provided throughout this county at places like Anderson Interfaith Ministries, the Soup Kitchen, the Salvation Army, Meals on Wheels, and others. The United Way provides school-aged children with packages of shelf-stable meals for the weekend. Each of these nonprofits, they do great work, often with strained resources. They manage to feed in our community thousands of people every day. Even so, 7,000 830 children, 22,700 adults are hungry right here, right now. Dr. King said that human progress is neither automatic or inevitable. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle the tireless exertions and passionate concerns of dedicated individuals. We're in a room today full of passionate and dedicated individuals. I challenge each of you to do what you can to be a part of the service that Dr. King dreamed of. What can you do to make sure that our neighbors don't go hungry another day? As we listen to our keynote speaker, maybe you'll find inspiration in her story. In a way, she turned a tragedy into an opportunity for service. In ways that she has found to use food as a bridge and to nurture broken spirits. No one should be hungry here, not in our backyard.
1: I'd like to see these MLK events grow. Uh, I think the Ministerial Association uh, organization has been doing it for 20 plus years, and there's potential there for that Monday night to really grow and. Um, Maybe even start a little bit later. It started so early, I think a lot of people had to come in later miss part of it. But it was those were both really good events and, and well done, and I would like to uh, really see those expand in years to come, and I'm sure people are working on that right now. A lot of other news this week, including a rare brush-up among county council members Tuesday night over a rezoning issue, and it actually reached sort of beyond that. A rezoning request at Hurricane Road attracted a solid crowd to the council meetings. Always good to see citizens come out. With many of those oppo- opposed to the... Uh, rezoning, and about almost an equal number in favor of it. Council members have been meeting with various members of that community over the past six months, and Council Vice Chairman Brett Sanders, who owns a small part of that property, and Anderson County Councilman John Wright, Jr., whose companies represent the real estate listing for the property, recused themselves from the discussion and from the vote, and they left the chamber, so they went in there during all of this. But when it came time to vote, uh, County Council Chairman Tommy Dunn said he opposed the change in zoning. And it was a request to shift from Highway Commercial District, which allows the development of major thoroughfares for commercial land uses, usually for things like traveling to automobile, establishment of that district would allow them to put in stores that provide goods and services to those who are traveling or local conveniences, Um, things such as hotels, bars, restaurants, entertainment establishments, automobile-oriented services such as car wash, truck and auto repair recreational vehicle support and services machinery gas stations all those are allowed under that as well as retail wholesale goods and even daycare centers and nursing homes which i'm not sure what that has to do with with highway commercial but those are in there the proposed move for the rezoning was an innovative zoning district which is a mixed-use development portion of land that generally cannot be classified through conventional zoning methods which means it sort of fell in the cracks it allows for flexibility in what can be used there and it also allows for reduction in housing density and total square footage increases uh, areas for landscape open spaces and setbacks uh, minor changes in landscaping lighting and location of the land uses parking and signage and minor changes to site chains and other things that go on a shift that uh, would approve density and allow housing to be built in there in that district, it was a mix of res- residential, commercial, which, would, which is what the developer, I believe, was hoping to do. But Anderson County Council Chairman Tommy Dunn, who is among those who have met with citizens in that area, opposed the move, and he cited one of the reasons for, for his opposition was to protect the integrity of county council. Now, there's a little history there. Dunn, who joined County Council in 2008 at perhaps the most contentious period in the County Council history, was the time of the forced resignation of former Administrator Joy Preston, a major shakeup of council members after they held secret meetings and worse. And then on Tuesday, um, one of his priorities, Dunn said, was since joining council, he said one of the things he really wanted to do was protect the image of that elected body. He also made it clear that while he felt like both Sanders and Wright had the highest ethics and he held them in the highest esteem and was no way suggesting they were doing anything nefarious in the rezoning issue before council, he still felt he was protecting the integrity of council by refusing the rezoning request. And the rezoning was defeated 3-2 with Dunn, Councilwoman Cindy Wilson, Councilman Jimmy Davis voting against, and Councilman Glenn Davis and Councilman Greg Elson voting for the rezoning. Sanders and Wright, who, again, were not even in the room for the discussion of the vote, were not terribly pleased with the comments, obviously. And that led to a separate public statement from Dunn on Wednesday stating that Council Vice Chairman Brett Sanders and Councilman John Wright are men of high integrity, uh, as anyone in the community who knows them can confirm, and that they are two of the most honorable and ethical people he'd ever known great public servants and no doubt in his mind they always put the citizens of anderson county first in everything they do and because of their integrity they recuse themselves from the vote last night he said, dunn said i would never expect less of them dunn also praised sanders as a once in a generation entrepreneurial and business mind one of the most successful entrepreneurs in anderson county history and john wright for his wisdom business acumen and exemplifying everything that's good about our community and the statement was a good move and hopefully uh will soothe any ruffled feathers that came out of that. It'll also hopefully be a step forward in patching all those things up between council members. Because I have to say, I've been covering county council in one way or another almost since being in home rule, uh, maybe a few years after home rule started. Roughly in home rule started in in 1976, and I started covering in 1981 too. Um, County council members have served for the past... The county council members we have now and the ones that have been there for the last several councils have in my experience and my, my um, observation always worked for the best interest of anderson county i'm not always agreed with their decisions but have never witnessed any evidence of anything that would in any way tarnish the integrity of county council and anderson from these groups over the last uh, few cycles of council anderson county is quite fortunate in this respect and shouldn't take it for granted because it's not the case in a lot of counties and I'm not seeing political posturing and other sorts of things take center stage or get on the agenda. This, this Anderson County Council has consistently done what they're elected to do, and that's served the best interests of Anderson County with polit- politics be damned. So I, I praise him for that and hope to continue to see that. I have known Brett Sanders for some time now, and he is a man that if he gives you his word, it, it means something. Uh, his integrity is beyond reproach and i think the same is true of john wright jr i've known him a long time as well I've known his family knew his grandfather really well and i just think that uh people know that about them and hopefully this won't uh, do anything to create problems as we move as for county council in general there is one wish on my list only one thing if they would now just see the light and vote to approve a hospitality tax in unincorporated areas of the county they can all immediately earn gold stars on their achievement chart from the Anderson Observer for 2023, if that means anything. It would be a great thing for Anderson County you would bring in at least three and as much as $5 million extra a year to use for recreation projects, which we so desperately need now that we're expanding the trails and other things. One other note from Tuesday night's council meeting that's worth a call back, and that's council-honored aviation show pioneer and former regional airport manager Hugh Oldham, who was recently elected to the Aviation Airshow Hall of Fame. And, and uh, but they honored him with a resolution, which is one for the ages. It, the commendation, which was written by Anderson County's grant wizard, Steve Newton, both praised and roasted Oldham in equal measure, much to his delight. It referred to his accomplishments, but also to his orneriness and his trouble getting along with people. And I think uh, Hugh found great delight in that. You can check out the video of that on the Anderson Observer News for People You Trust, if you want to see more. Uh, this
8: is a resolution 2023-001. A resolution honoring Hugh Odom and other matters related thereto. Whereas Anderson resident Hugh Odom has been revert, referred to as many as a gadfly, troublemaker, pot stirrer, specialist in subterfuge, and very various other epithets which decorum prohibits prescribing in this form. Whereas, in spite of his shortcomings, of which there are many, Mr. Odom has managed to amass a measure of goodwill among his fellow Andersonians, and whereas perhaps in hope of earning atonement for his sins, of which there are many, Mr. Odom has provided invaluable services to his community, ranging from volunteer work at local schools, ongoing advocacy for his fellow veterans, and support for local aviation interests, including an involuntary term of service as manager of the Anderson Regional Airport. And whereas today we honor Mr. Odom for his 60 years of work in the air show industry for which he was recently inducted into the International Council of Air Shows Foundation Hall of Fame and whereas in their recognition for which they no doubt receive unreported financial consideration, the ICAS Foundation noted Mr. Odom's work as a safety advocate Columnist, mentor, and leader in the air show community, and thanked him for his passionate and consistent advocacy for a stronger, more sustainable, and safer air show industry. And whereas over the years, tens of thousands of Anderson County residents have been thrilled by the sounds and spectacle at one of many shows held at the Anderson Regional Airport, courtesy of Mr. Odom's generous contributions of his time, talent, and treasure. Now, therefore, be resolved that the Anderson County Council hereby offers its congratulations to Mr. Odom for receiving the highest honor awarded by an industry in which industry he worked for so long and hard to support, and by way of this resolution does hereby authorize the display of Mr. Odom's ICAS Hall of Fame plaque in a place of honor in the Anderson Regional Airport Terminal resolved in a meeting duly assembled this 17th day of january 2020 i'd like to uh thank you for all that you've done for general aviation yeah, at one time there was uh, things you'd read that general aviation was was dying off but i think uh it's is stronger now than ever before and it's people like you that dedicate their life to make that happen and I I greatly appreciate you. Thank you sir.
6: I'd like to thank whoever wrote the resolution. It wasn't me. (laughs) Because obviously they know way too much about me. But uh, I want to also thank the council for their support of both this resolution. But primarily because of the support of the airport. The Anderson uh, Regional Airport is a major asset that we have here. And my house here in the city is located where the outer markers for the well runway 23 would be located. So I get to hear all those jets fly overhead as they're coming in and out of that airport. And also Ritz is over here, Mr. Garrison, who is assumed the mantle of the victim of the airport manager. He's done an outstanding job, and uh, if you look at the fuel flow fo- figures where while Clemson was closed, I would remind council that, that won't happen next year. But <laughs> it was a great to see that amount of fuel being pumped out there at the airport. So thank you to every one of you. Thank you for your support, and thank you for what you do on a weekly basis for Anderson County. Thank
1: you for
8: when all the duties that you took on to to help us get through a rough patch out the airport and and uh, whether you knew it or not you taught me a lot of things out there so I, I appreciate your service to Anderson County and fulfilling your civic duty and we greatly as a, as a council uh, did not overlook your your participation in helping the county get through a rough patch out there and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you Mr. Chair. I, do uh, I want to thank you from uh, all council and Six of Rancho County for stepping up to the plate our manager and we needed one run the airport he was first on board we've done a first air show and ever since we've had they've been a big part in it and put it together, get help put it together along through committee and i could have done it without you and please uh stay in touch and keep doing good things we really do appreciate you thank you very much
1: And in other recent news around Addison County, there's two new police chiefs now on the job, though uh, both men are longtime law enforcement veterans. And Williamson Williamson Chief Kevin Marcy is now in charge after a long career, much of it in this area. And I sat down recently with him to discuss uh, his new post. You've been involved in law law enforcement a long time. Remind people how you got involved in it and what all you've done.
9: Well, I started back in 1984. I started with Greenville County, the Law Enforcement Support Division. And I had gone to work uh, in the jail there and uh, my first job was identification. Uh, My whole shift would be spent rolling prints and identifying people. 1985 rolls around and I find myself at the Anderson Police Department. Um, And once I walked in the door at the Anderson Police Department, you know, um, I spent the majority of my career there at that agency uh, until my retirement in 2012. But I had a number of roles there. I started out as a patrolman. After approximately three and a half years I went into narcotics where I would stay well over 21 years and toward the end of my career there, uh, the chief at the time asked me if I would take over the training division. We had a tremendous uh, turnover period and they needed positive training so I was assigned to build the training unit and to provide basic and advanced training to over 150 personnel.
1: What, let's, let's back up to that. What made you want to get into law enforcement? It, I mean when you were growing up did you always want to be in law enforcement or is that something you became interested in later? Or?
9: I knew I liked public service and I've interviewed people for well over 30 years and you always get a textbook answer. Why do you want to come into this profession? And you here to protect and to serve. That's the standard answer and it's a textbook answer. But in reality, uh, law enforcement is a calling and it takes a very special person, a very different person, to want to do this job. But it's a calling and it is a passion that needs to be met within these individuals. And, of course, we recognize that.
1: Uh, a municipality or a township, law enforcement serves a lot of roles other than just the Protect Department. Tell people why the law enforcement agency here, like your department, is so important to Williamston.
9: Well, it's important because you are about 14 miles from Anderson. You're another 15 miles or so from Greenville. And Williamston is very rural. So people here they have a lot of needs. It could be that their water line broke. It could be that they have uh, a squirrel in their attic. A lot of different issues that they have in addition to providing public safety. But you have to recognize, you know, even in medical emergencies that every minute counts. So in addition to our law enforcement officers providing safety services, they provide a lot of other functions as well. And the reason that any town or city incorporates is because they want better protection than what they had before. So when you see a town or community incorporating, uh, one of the first things they want is a law enforcement service. They want that law enforcement service to be responsive to them, to have people that they know, people that they can communicate with here at the, on a local level.
1: And y'all do get, I imagine, some interesting phone calls that have nothing to do with uh, arresting somebody or a crime going on.
9: We've had everything from a lady who had a bird that couldn't get it to quit talking, <laughs> uh, to donkeys getting out, to horses getting out. But then on the, the other side, you know, we've had very serious calls. We've had um, attempted murders. We've had people shot. We've had uh, law enforcement officers shot at. So you never know what you're going to get. Uh, when the radio goes off, when that call comes out. It could be something very minor to something very serious.
1: You mentioned you've done a lot of training for people. What, what are some of the areas of training that are in highest demand maybe for law enforcement now?
9: Interpersonal communications is huge. Uh, we have a new generation coming up that uh, their school years were very different than ours in the older days. So interpersonal communication, extremely important. Uh, we have the emergence of terrorism. So that's an extremely important topic, as well as you know, to what we need to look for, to how we provide homeland security at the basic level. We have the emergence of street gangs that we didn't see in the past, uh, and also the emergence of extremism. So we have to train our officers in those topics. But if there's one thing that's extremely important is the emergence of social media and also uh, the use of body cameras have really changed the dynamics of law enforcement. So we really have to train our police officers that you're always on video and that now you have information circulating in real time. I mean, look at the Pulse nightclub, you had individuals in an active shooter environment who were broadcasting live during that event. So those two things have really changed the dynamics of law enforcement. Um, But there are many facets and many different topics in which law enforcement of today need to be trained in. Uh, We've seen tremendous changes over the past 38 years and it's not the same that it was you know back then. You
1: spent all all these years and decades of experience What made you want to step back up and take over a police department here in Williamston?
9: I had retired in 2012 and I was a national director for threat management and security for a major corporation. Uh, We had 10 states, over 150 properties. Law enforcement is different than any corporate environment. There are um, differences in the way you conduct day-to-day business. I've traveled all over this country in a corporate environment, uh, you know, handling threat management, handling threat reduction, crime reduction, but one thing about Anderson County that's different from everywhere that I've traveled is this. I can pick up the phone and I can call anybody I need to. We have this working relationship in this county unparalleled to any other. You know, if if I have an issue that I need to talk to the sheriff, I can pick up my phone. I have his cell phone number, and and he's going to, you know, call me back immediately. I have uh, the personal cell phone of the coroner. We're friends. I can pick up the phone and call him. I can call any chief of any agency uh, around me. And it is so much easier um, to function in an environment like that than to be functioning somewhere where you don't know anybody, you don't have those relationships and connections, and you would be surprised over a course of 38 years, those connections that you make. And networking in this day and age is so important, so critical, because the only way we can get things done is to actually work together, because criminals don't know jurisdictional boundaries. So if we don't have that environment where we work as a team, we're not going to be successful. So looking at where I was right after I retired and of course having received a telephone call by the mayor at the time and and the chief of police, um, they had asked me to come back into this profession because there were some skills that I gained over that 38 year period and or back then it was I guess 28 years. but I had certain skill sets that they needed, and I was happy to come back and serve.
1: And so you know this community really well. what do you see as some of the the major challenges that you're going to face as the new police chief here once you're know, back and settled?
9: Certainly, we have budgeting challenges, and that's with any agency. but Williamston is in a time of growth. Uh, we are in a transition period from where we were to where we're going. We have the introduction of new businesses. We have the introduction of new residences. We see more transient people than before. You have people coming here from out of town, moving into uh, this neighborhood. We have diverse challenges. We have, um, you know, a number of Hispanic people here now who have different cultures. They speak different languages. So those are certainly challenges. But one of the biggest challenges that we're having here is of course, the recruitment and retention of police officers. On a national level, when you look across this country, you see people who just don't want to get into this profession anymore. And for those who do come into the profession, they usually want to go to where there's more opportunities for transferring to other divisions, for, you know, promotions, whereas a smaller agency like this may not have all those opportunities. And we have to recognize our police officers. Uh, We have some very good people here, very experienced people. And we rely on them. Um, When you put 90% of your budget into the salaries of police officers, we have to put 90% of our resources and efforts into the development and retention of those police officers, including training. So that's a challenge at this point in time and we certainly are working on turning that around to get good people in house here. And we do. We we have some some great police officers.
1: I cover a lot of events in Williamson and I notice the the police presence is always very strong and I noticed some other things you guys put out. How how is what is the best place for people to find out information about Williamson Police Department, all the things y'all are doing, involved in and the community stuff y'all do?
9: Well, now that you mentioned that, we just received a grant from the COPS Office and that's through the United States Department of Justice. It's a great opportunity, it's giving us some some funding for some police officers to help us, you know, within our budget. But we have certain caveats with that grant. Some of those are faith-based outreach, community outreach, business watch, um, even community training as relates to community policing to um, help with extremism, Uh, that's a topic. So what they're going to see now as a community is they're going to see a lot more involvement by this agency out in the community. We're going to hold community meetings. Uh, Some may be virtual to give everybody the opportunity to uh, see what we're engaged in. But 2023 is going to be a year where you see more of an effective alignment of police resources with the needs of the community. And we certainly are looking forward to networking, to developing those relationships, and to make sure that we're meeting community needs.
1: And meanwhile, in Path, Chief Barry New is now on the job. He actually took over in December. He's also well-known in this area and a longtime law enforcement veteran. And here is my interview
10: with him. Well... During high school, um, I was approached by someone with EMS and they said, would you like to become a member of EMS? Um, I was already a member of County Fire, uh, so I was doing both of those all during high school. Um, and one day the police chief and I just happened to meet up, uh, chief of Abbeyville PD. I've known him a long time. He asked me if I'd like to come to work as a dispatcher. Uh, he'd heard me on the radio. Uh, the city at that time dispatched for everybody in the county. Well, it wasn't 911 back then, that would have been in 1980, uh, 85. And uh, I said, yeah, I might be interested in that. So I had a little side job going um, after school. He said, well, he said, would you like to try second shift as a dispatcher? So I did that and did that until 1987, uh, when I became a reserve officer for the city of Abbeville. And then went and got certified that later that same year um, i think i went and took all the testing like a couple of days after i turned 21. so i've been in it you know essentially since so 85 and then me, as a uh, an officer since 1987 with the city of abbyville so you must have really found your niche when you started doing it you realized this is what you wanted to do i did i really did um i knew there was a need i, I felt that was kind of a calling for lack of a better way to put it, um, working EMS and fire and then working closely with law enforcement, I kind of got to see what they were doing. That you know sparked an interest, so, so I went that direction and I've been there ever since. What's your favorite part of law enforcement? I guess, in general, just, just helping people, um, helping people solve their problems. Um, sometimes being, a, um, I guess, a, a go-between um that sort of thing and it, that would be the most rewarding thing is when i can reach out to someone and help them you know whether it be a, a a call or whether it be just someone that walks up that just needs some advice
1: well now as a chief what's what are some of the most challenging parts of law enforcement
10: i guess just uh right now the hardest thing in law enforcement is is that there's somewhat of a a bad persona if that's the right word um People see so much in the media, and a lot of it's negative. Just trying to keep everybody on the same page, keep everybody informed, being transparent. Um, you know, letting them know that we are here to help them. Um, that's kind of the biggest struggle, and then retention right now because of that is one of the hardest things. You know, being able to get a good officer, whether they're uncertified, we certify them, which is a 12-week process now, so it's pretty in depth or getting an officer that has been previously certified somewhere else that just wants to change and comes in, you know, keeping them here. And, you know, they're looking they're looking at what their job is, what they have to do. Of course they're looking at the money. Uh, and they're looking at equipment. That would be the three biggest things that, that causes some issues with the retention.
1: And are there different challenges for like a, a town the size of Honeopath and say a bigger city somewhere?
10: It is, and it's mainly again money and equipment. But um, the grass looks greener sometimes. Um, some folks change and go, say, to a larger agency in the county or somewhere else, and decide, you know, maybe it wasn't greener grass uh, because of the call volume and the other things that they have to deal with. Uh, small town, having worked with Honeypath, due West, City of Abbeville, um, I've kind of seen all of those challenges, and and I you know I know where people are you know, what people are thinking when they get into smaller um, smaller government, you know, roles. And we have to wear so many hats. So we kind of have to be a referee. You have to work these calls for service. All those sort of things. People call you all for everything, don't they? Absolutely everything. That's nothing you, you to do with police. You would probably be surprised what we get called for.
1: What are some of the funny, can you remember any of the funny calls you've
10: gotten? Well, you know, we get the cat in the tree. <laughs> uh, we get the dogs that's running at large. You know, uh somebody looked at me funny that sort of thing but um, it sounds like mayberry a little bit then. it It kind of is and then of course we have the same calls as everybody else does of course it's not the same call volume so you know when we assist other agencies um pretty good you know because all the smaller agencies in, in the county have to kind of stick together so if belton has something they need help with we go that way if, if we have you know an issue that we need some help with manpower equipment whatever it may be they're really, really good about stepping in, and so is the sheriff's office.
1: That's what I was going to ask you. I do have a good working relationship. with Absolutely, the chair we, have, the we have
10: mutual aid agreements and automatic aid agreements with with each agency. Um, <coughs> excuse me, which helps out a lot. Helps out a lot.
1: For people who've never met you, what tell people about where you grew up and what some things people would need to
10: know about you. Well, um, kind of a native of Abbeville County, at least high school, you know, and older. Um, uh, married, I've got six kids, uh, all of them grown. I've got uh, five grandchildren. Um, started my career, like I said, with the Abbeville Police Department. Uh, worked about 14 years there. Uh, had a sheriff change. Uh, I continued on at the police department and got promoted there. Got to second in command there for a couple of years. Um, decided to make a change. Uh, went to the sheriff's office in Abbeville and I worked there 12 years. Uh, retired from the Sheriff's Office, came back to work, which is which is fairly normal, um, then made another change, went to the West Police Department as a Captain. Uh, I was an SRO for most of the time that I was there. Got my kids up there and got them into high school and uh, at Dixie High School. Um, got my daughter uh, headed towards graduating, um, saw the greener grass uh, with another agency in in the county, which is Iva PD, went to Crescent High School as an SRO there. Um, then I made this one last change here, and this will probably be my last change when I came here to be an SRO at the middle school uh, here in Honeybath, which I really enjoyed. Um, it was tough leaving the kids because, you know, you get attached. and you know Several hundred kids over there, and, and I made a lot of attachment over the four years I was there. I've been there uh, since 2019, took this interim job this year in November. I think people forget that the role of SRO
1: it 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 calls back to something you mentioned earlier. It really does help people get to know law enforcement in a way that they wouldn't any other way, right?
10: Correct. You you make a connection with the, with the students, then you get to make a connection with the parents. In in some cases, um, some parents kind of are more present. I guess you would say they come in and. And have questions and concerns and you know, most of the time I can I can satisfy whatever their question and concern is or send them to hear whoever they need to evidence. talk to to uh to get the answers that they need. But Romeo, uh, I really Zero, enjoyed SRO working SRO jobs. Seven, 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 uh, if you'd asked me if you had asked me fifteen years ago, so to speak, because 'cause it's been a minute since I've been doing it, I would have told you probably wouldn't be interested in it because I really enjoyed working the road. But but having come off the road and gone good to the schools, uh, it was, it was even more nine. rewarding.
1: What are some of your hobbies? Some of the it's things people work did work want people
10: to know about you. Well, I teach a concealed so weapon state concealed weapon permit class on the side. Um, I yep. enjoy tinkering with cars. I've uh, got a good many. Uh, one of my sons really likes to to work on his cars and, and such. Um, I was a long time member of the, the dive team I'm in Odenville. Still ever like ever. to scuba dive. We like to camp. Um, okay. Just anything outside family stuff. We we just, you know, with that many kids and grandkids, we stay pretty busy with it. Especially this time of year, I would think. Yes, sir. That that makes it interesting. Uh,
1: what do you have any goals or anything you'd like to see over the next couple of years
10: as your, as chief here? Anything that's on your agenda? Well, my agenda is running retention, of course, number one. Um, bring the community in and make them feel like they're a part of the town as well, um, in the loop. Uh, make the department a little more transparent you know as as far as much as we can and just you know attempt to to make everybody feel comfortable make everybody feel safe let them know that again we're here for them Uh, anything that we can do to help them we'll we'll do anything that we can Um, you know in working hand in hand with the mayor um, he does a great job he makes it a little easy as far as that Uh, he gives me you know pretty good leeway to to handle things as, as best I can. And then if I need, you know, something from the town side, you know, from, you know, the, the mayor's office or the, or the council, I go to them for further guidance on stuff.
1: There's an also a lot of things going on this week uh, over in Belton, the Belton Area Museum is opening their newest exhibit, Let It Snow, which opens Sunday afternoon and will feature what they call a winter wonderland of exhibits and displays. You can check out the details on the Anderson Anderson Observer News from People You Trust. Finally, in case you missed it, Anderson County is putting together a voluntary, keep that, voluntary database for families who have members with any disabilities at all in an effort to help first responders be a step ahead of the game if they get called to a home. It's a really good idea. And kudos should go out to Emergency Management for putting this program together. Well, that's it for today's Anderson Reserver Podcast. News from people you trust, join me next time. But until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place.